in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Grady and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them suckers like the f***ing players. Well, it's true. New Orleans quarterback Jameis Winston has a torn ACL, sustained MCL damage Sunday. He is out. Uh, Peyton now has to make a decision between Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon. You've also got that fourth-round pick, Ian Book, from Notre Dame. Sean Payton, we're satisfied with the quarterback room. Should he be Adam Candy Hill, uh, Taysom 31 is the most likely choice. 3-1 and one is a replacement for Drew, yeah, 31. Taysom Hill's 31. 3-1 uh, is a replacement for Drew Brees last year. Uh, should this guy be happy with his with his room coming off that win against Tampa Bay? You got way more out of Trevor Simeon in that game yes. than you ever could have expected <laughs> if you're the New Orleans Saints. I think the question you ask yourself if you're the Saints is, are we a contender right here, right now? And they're 5-2. and two. It's hard to say that they're not, right? I mean, they're right in the thick of this race. But I also look at the NFC and say, can this Saints team get out of the NFC? And I don't know that they can. Uh, not as currently constructed. It's a team that's lost to the Giants and the Panthers. And I don't know that New Orleans needs to go spending significant draft capital to try to move themselves forward in the quarterback room, in part because they have less than a million dollars of cap space left right now. So you're going to have to spend the kind of draft pick that's going to get someone else to eat some of that salary the way the uh, Broncos did with Von Miller to the Rams. Uh, uh, we'll see. I love football coaches. Pete Carroll yesterday, I don't know when the pen is coming out of Russell Wilson's uh, repaired right middle finger. We're kind of hoping for the best of his return. That's everything is handled really well, and we get him in the mode where he starts to use that hand and finger with the football. There's no updates now. Uh, an hour later, Wilson posted a picture of his remove pin with the caption, no more pin, time to win. Uh, he gets the bye week to prepare uh, or try to get that finger back to normal where he can grip a football. Is our, our football coach is not the best. I mean, this is absolutely wonderful when the Seattle coach says, we have no updates for you. I don't know when the pin's coming back. And an hour later, Russell Wilson says, well, it's out. Now time to win. Now that Russell Wilson is out here posting pictures of his <laughs> pin on social media, I don't ever want to hear another word from players about HIPAA when they yes. get asked about vaccines <laughs> because there's Russell Wilson choosing to share some very personal medical information out there online. Yeah, I mean, the Pete Carroll thing is unsurprising. <laughs> Football Beautiful. coaches, by their nature, want to say nothing. They actually still have far more stringent reporting requirements on injuries than most other sports so you know yay football i guess yeah uh, but yeah the russell wilson thing is great it's, uh, i would say the same thing about seattle that i would say about new orleans just in reverse are you really out of it i don't know that you're really out of this thing i don't know uh, if they're out of it when he, if he comes back after the bye yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, look, the Rams are the Rams. The Cardinals are the Cardinals. But when you look at the bottom of the uh, the wild card race in the National Football Conference right now, I mean, you've got teams like the Panthers and the Vikings hanging around. Like, if you don't think you're better than one of those teams, then I don't know why you have Russell Wilson on your side in the first place. So yeah, I think the Seahawks have reason for optimism, even if Pete Carroll knows nothing. Man, you know, that's a great question. Texans. They're prepared to keep Deshaun Watson through the trade deadline of today. GM Nick Casario is determined to get full value. Bob McNair, the owner, wants him gone, but it's going to leave it up to the GM. Uh, 
Does the offseason provide any resolution for this? I mean, he wants to go to Miami. That's really the one team we've heard all along that might make a deal for him. But if you're the GM and you you have to make this decision, he is obviously holding out here, which I guess is somewhat surprising for people. 22 uh, um, accusations with the, uh, with the massages and, and sexual assault and all of these things hanging over him. Would you continue hanging out to get full value from him? He's a top five quarterback, obviously, when he's healthy and he's playing. But your owner wants him gone, and it appears the GM doesn't want him gone until he gets what he thinks he deserves. Mind you, a brand new GM uh, in Houston who was just chosen this past offseason. Right. So if you're the Houston Texans, you say you're prepared to hang on to him. Sure. I mean, I, I guess you are. You're prepared not to give him away. And I don't think you can do that if you're the Houston Texans. You have ridden this out this far. You can't just hand him over because the trade deadline is coming. If you're not getting an offer that you think is worth what Deshaun Watson could be, then why would you just move him to move him? That's not the statement that says we disapprove of what Deshaun Watson has done. 22 civil allegations, uh, somewhere near 10 criminal charges uh, as well against Deshaun Watson. Those are things that you don't solve just by saying, if you're Cal McNair, hey, let's just get him out of here uh, at the trade deadline. So if you've ridden it out this far, yeah, then you're obviously making a football move the same way you've been making a football move all along. You go ahead and you hang on and get your trade value or you don't. Great question. Thank you. Question for you. Would you trade Jordan Love? This from ESPN. It's not likely the Packers do it, but here's a case in favor of it. It would show Rodgers they're truly committed and beyond the season. It might prompt Rodgers to sign a contract extension. I don't think it says and come to the Raiders. It might be. That would not only ensure he could finish his career in Green Bay, but be uh, alleviate uh, salary cap issues that might force the Packers into a rebuilding mode. That's from ESPN. Um, the deadline is upon us. Would you trade Jordan Love? No. There's no reason to trade Jordan Love. Uh you have a quarterback on a rookie deal, which even though it doesn't mean much to you right now because you botched how you drafted him, uh, you drafted him in the first round, which means you have that fifth-year option on Jordan Love. And so if Aaron Rodgers is committed to leaving, then he might not care about showing that you're committed to him. Right. Uh, if he's if he's out, then what do you have? Then you have Jordan Love with three years left on that rookie contract with hopefully enough experience to go in there and perform the same way or I shouldn't say the same way, but perform admirably the way Aaron <laughs> Rodgers did. Um, so, yeah, there's no reason to consider trading Jordan Love right now. The only way you could look at that and, and see any positivity is that you're trying to extend Aaron Rodgers' window. And I don't know that you necessarily should be doing that when the guy has not shown a whole lot of reason to believe that he wants to be there. Next question. Okay, I love this. Uh, Seattle Kraken putting a spin on one of the oldest traditions, so you know the three stars come out every night. Usually, it's a puck or a stick. We see the Golden Knights often give their sticks into the crowd. Uh, they're not going to do that. These are stuffed fish, stuffed salmons uh, to the crowds where they toss them over the um, the glass there. The three stars do. Uh, not a shock, um, and I'm Johnny Greco and Aaron Square who helped craft the, uh, the uh, motifs for the expansion Golden Knights uh, are doing this or in charge. Sequera, we have a great team here. We think differently. You don't want to be different just to be different. You want to be different for a reason. All right, three stars tossing the salmon over the glass. I love it. Uh, I don't know how many games they're going to win. They're an expansion team. They're obviously not an expansion team like the Golden Knights. But what do you think of the fish being chucked into the stands? If you're going to do something, you do it all the way. 
So yeah. flush salmon does not cut it for me. This okay. is a team that is based on a giant angry octopus. <laughs> and so if you are based on a giant angry octopus-like creature, then you need to do the reverse Joe Lewis and have the players toss the octopus into the crowd. What, enough with this idea of Detroit where they toss the octopus on the ice to celebrate. That's that's wonderful. Give the people something valuable. Don't you ever go out to a restaurant and see that grilled octopus on the menu for $20? Like, show your fans you're committed to them. Give them something valuable. Let them take that home, cook it up, and have a nice meal. He hasn't met the wife. $20 <laughs> octopus. I'm in the chicken sandwich range of $9. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. <laughs> no. Have you had so $20 sorry. octopus? You, you've probably seen it on the menu somewhere, though. I, pro well, I, pro I, I don't know if I get a turn to that page. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I stay at the first page with the appetizer and the chicken sandwiches. You? I mean, I was just going to say that, at, like, it's one of the few environments besides an actual, like, fishmongers where it's cold enough. Adam's got a point. You could probably keep fresh octopus. You could probably do it. In a hockey arena and just sort of be like, yeah, we got octopus on ice. What? Yeah. It's yeah, for the, the players. Little... They're going to throw them. Well, I mean, right down where the official scorer is, you know, down near the penalty box where they keep the uh, the frozen pucks, they hand them out of the little dorm fridge to the ref every time it goes out of play. <laughs> then you could have a little octopus in there. I'm not saying you have a, you know, a giant 10-pounder. Uh, in there you, you just have something that would be worth a little snack you know the people of seattle can appreciate good seafood just the smell oh uh, you know i can't tell you that gary patterson this week stepped down as the tcu head coach jerry kill is going to be interim head coach not tony sanchez he's an offensive assistant there at tcu tcu three and five after 31 12 lost to k-state this week 21 and 22 the last four seasons can you can you i guess you can because they did should you bounce a guy in midseason that has a statue in front of the stadium Gary Patterson has a statue. Did he get to take it with him? I don't know. It looked pretty heavy. They had three statues out front. He was in the middle. I believe he was in the middle. I saw a picture of him and his wife standing by the statue. But Gary Patterson, um, I mean, he was there forever. You got to be somewhere forever to have a statue. Uh, but bouncing in midseason, we know Jerry Kill uh, from several jobs, and he's a really, really good football coach. Let me ask you this. Marcus Arroyo continues to lose at... Uh, at UNLV, and we and Tyler made a good point about the buyout. I don't think people realize about the buyout. It's over $3 million if they uh, went uh, away from him after this year. But the minute he gets another job, the buyout goes away. Tyler made that point yesterday, which I think is important because Marcus Arroyo is still really young, and he's not going to – I don't think he would go away from coaching. I think he'd want to coach somewhere. How about I, – I got a text yesterday. The duo of Patterson and Sanchez. Sanchez returning to UNLV as an assistant. What do you think? Does Gary Patterson take this job it's a, if it's ever open? No. No. <laughs> no. There will be no statues outside Allegiant Stadium for UNLV football head coaches. Uh, <laughs> a head coach with the experience of Gary Patterson knows what uh, college football quicksand looks like, and that would be stepping into the UNLV situation. Um, I mean, look, the, the, uh, the I would be very disheartened if I were anywhere around the Rebel program and saw that effort that they put out last week yeah. uh, in Reno because they looked like for the last month before that, that they have been taking steps forward, that at least you're competing in games. At least you're looking like, all right, once we get a little experience and we figure out how to do this, that we'll be okay. Well, they didn't look that way at all. That that did not look like a team that, that had a semblance of an idea uh, up in Reno. And so if you're Marcus Arroyo, 
you got Albuquerque, you got the Ninth Island coming in, and you better get it done in one of those two games for a win this year because I don't believe the Aztecs or the Falcons are going to be all that generous. No, and uh, real quick there, I'm glad you made that point. The one thing that stood out, I was talking to our friend Damon yesterday, is up until then, I really thought they competed. I thought they were better defensively. I know what the scores were. Obviously, they've got issues on the offensive line and quarterback, but I thought the most disappointing thing last week was it's – you can lose, but you can lose certain ways. And when it was 34-0, I really questioned n- not giving up, but more so has has the losing just run its course in terms of the, you know, the desire and the effort. You're down 34-0 to your rival, and you just can only lose so much. And I, I feel bad for those kids. I, I picked them to win New Mexico this week. I hope they do. I want those kids to experience, you know, singing their fight song and being in their locker room. It's a long, long road of losing over 700 days. But I'm with you on that, and I, I, I think that's the first thing you saw as well. It was, I don't like to say effort because I'm not them, and it's hard to look and say, well, they don't have effort. But it, they just didn't seem inspired. And if there's one game in a year that UNLV should ever be inspired about, it's that one. It should be, but remember what Marcus Arroyo said last year, <laughs> that he wasn't going to make the whole season about one game. I mean, he has not shown that the rivalry means anything to him. And I'm not sure that there's a way that a coach, you know, is going to go out there and hump the cannon or something and make it look like, you know, oh, I really, really want this game. But at the same time, he has downplayed the importance of playing against the Wolfpack. And mm-hmm. if that's the case, then I don't know that his players are necessarily going to have the, uh, the rah-rah to go out there against Nevada. You talked about the fact that the losing wears on you after a while. And you could hear that in the quotes from some of the players in the week leading up to the game. Um, I think if you're in Marcus Royal's situation, if you don't get a win this year, just to give those players some hope, then the transfer portal obviously comes into play in a huge way. And whoever the new athletic director is who comes in, I can't imagine is giving you more than one season to figure things out. K-Long told me a couple of days ago, I, you gotta get rid of this echo. <laughs> <laughs> I can't uh, I talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. <laughs> Washington football coach Jimmy Lake asked today, uh, yesterday, if Oregon is a recruiting rival. They play Oregon this week, and here we go. This is way more pumped up than it is. Our battles are really the schools that we go against have academic prowess, like the University of Washington, Notre Dame, Stanford, USC. We go into a lot of battles toe-to-toe, all the way to the end with those schools. So I think that's made us... I think that's made up and pumped up in the media's world, in our world. We battle more academically prowess teams. I don't know about that last sentence when you're talking about high-level academics. If you're Oregon, what are you saying right now? I mean, Oregon's going to be heavily favored, and they'll probably take it a little bit out on them. But Jimmy Lake coming strong with, we're smarter than you people. I'm a little bit biased. The University of Washington was the one school that rejected me when I applied for college. Okay. And so, obviously, they didn't think I was smart enough to be there. And so maybe Jimmy Lake has something. No, this is ridiculous. Do not ever let me hear the word academics come out of the mouth of a college football coach in Division One. Stop. Just stop. And and to try to turn the recruiting thing on its head like that is ridiculous because you're going to talk about going head-to-head with Stanford. Stanford? Yeah. Stop it. Stanford's beating you every single time if a child is actually making a decision based upon academics. And if someone's choosing Oregon, it's not like they're going to DeVry. Like, they're going to the University of Oregon, a very good school, which, by the way, once you show them the Phil Knight honorary oh, yeah. locker rooms and uh, and facility, they're not going to give a damn about what class they go to. No. 14 uniforms a week. I, I don't know how they miss on anyone up there with all that Nike stuff.
Oh, my, my, uh, I have a buddy who uh, works at the Oregonian, and one of the first things that, uh, that they did once they started this whole uniform madness was they created almost like, uh, almost like you, like a kid with a Barbie doll where you could change the outfits. They created like an <laughs> online thing where you could take all of the uniform combinations, the helmets, the jerseys, the pants, everything that Oregon had, that had, uh, put out, and you could make your own. You could kind of, it was a great little engagement tool, I thought. Uh, that, to me, would be far more exciting than Jimmy Lake telling me how great the Psych 101 class is. Yeah, not, not, a, not a good quote when you're about to play them this week. The why Oregon, give Oregon any more? Yeah, why, what would like Oregon needs any more inspiration to beat Washington? Right. The only thing you want a Division One coach to talk about when it comes to act- academics is we're hoping to get these kids eligible. Yeah, yeah, hoping to get them eligible for this week's game. All right, when we come back, Projected lines now that the Golden Knights have no players left. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Over center, play fake. He's back to throw. He looks left. He throws left. Touchdown, Giants. Kyle Rudolph gets his first touchdown with Big Blue. And the Giants are an extra point away from tying it. You gotta like Daniel Jones. What do you think? A lot of cuts this morning on Daniel Jones. Well, when they go 2017 against your G- Chiefs and, and almost win, you got to like it. Oh, no, it's 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 setting up Adam. It's <laughs> play the highlights so that he knows, you know, they could have won. Adam didn't want him to win, did you? Of course not. No. This, this team has no business winning right now. <laughs> this team needs to be building itself up to get to the top of the draft. That's the only thing we're trying to win right now, next year's draft. You know, you know they're going to beat the Raiders, just like the yeah. Jets. The Raiders are going to go there five and two, everything on the line, and then the Giants are going to have their best game of the year. Well, watch out if the Giants hire Greg Williams this week, then you know something's up. <laughs> uh, Ted Graney, Adam Candy, Jared running the show. Tyler on his way to Houston for the World Series Game Six and maybe Game Seven. All right, uh, back to VGK. We told you about William Carlson, broken foot, out six weeks. Everyone's out. It seems uh, half of their top six is injured. Wanted to get your thoughts. You know this team well. Um, Sinbin actually broke the story yesterday about Carlson's broken foot. Uh, others followed. And I thought the projected lines that Sinbin came out with were interesting. Um, this is just, you, you, first of all, they, they claimed Michael uh, Madioff waivers, 25-year-old center this week, three games of Toronto this year, five seasons in the NHL, 16 goals in 168 games. Uh, makes a parsley uh, 750,000. So, this is a move you have to make, right? I mean, you've got to start looking for bodies uh, along the way. And, you know, he can be a third-line center. He can give you some help until guys get healthy. Um, do you know much about him, or is this just things that they're going to have to do as guys get hurt? No, I honestly don't. Uh, not a player that I had a lot of familiarity with. And yet, when you look at the projected lines from Sinbin, you see him as a third-line center already Correct. for the Golden Knights, right? Stevenson, Wah, Amadio, and Lecision down the middle, which... You, know, you do what you have to do, right? right. And, and I think uh, Sinbin did a good breakdown on the minutes and showed that pretty much everybody who plays a significant role for the Golden Knights has seen their minutes increase this year. And for a guy like Alex Petrangelo, up to oh. where his career high was back in 15-16. So it's going to be 
a lot of big asks for the Golden Knights to try to make it work in the absence of Carlson and so many others. Does it get uh, worse is a wrong word, but we've talked about and had uh, stats this week about how bad defensively they've been in terms of giving up high dangers. And it's, I mean, it's a significant, significant increase over the last several years. And, you know, we talked to Ryan Wallace and his point was we're going to talk to Ben Ghost later in the show. They're just trying to be more offensive because they're missing so many guys. So Theodore, Petrangelo uh, giving up more in the back end. Look at these lines they put out here. Carrier Stevens, Stevenson Krebs, Marcel Waugh-Smith, Dodonov, Amadio Kolasar, Howden Lashizan, and Ronberg. I mean, you're especially the bottom six there, is it even going to get more dicey defensively if they keep trying to do things offensive end and leave themselves you know, open on the back end and where Leonard's going to just continue to see more and more high dangers? Well, I understand that there's a need for offense, and that's going to force them to use using a hockey word here, activate the defenseman Mm -hmm. more than they would like to. And I've advocated for that. I mean, the defensemen do have to step up into the play. It looks a lot like uh, early Golden Knights where you were asking Marc-Andre Fleury to bail you out a number of times when you were putting the defenseman deeper into the zone. That being said, I wonder if the philosophy with that bottom six has to change a little bit. I wonder if whatever minutes you're getting out of the, I'm going to loosely use these terms, Amadio and Lecision lines, um, I wonder if those have to go back to Golden Knights forecheck and really just trying to get the puck in deep, grind out some time, wear down the other team a little bit, and try to just keep them out of your end. I don't know that there's a lot that can be said for trying to create chances with uh, with that combination of six forwards. So maybe it's more about the Golden Knights just trying to survive those third and fourth line minutes as opposed to trying to push the envelope. Have you been impressed with, uh, as a lot of writers seem to be, with uh, Chandler Stevenson not playing with uh, Stone and Pacioretty and what he's tried to do? I know Ben Goetz had a quote from him yesterday that says, I'm not going to try to be someone I'm not, uh, but it seems like a lot of people are impressed with what Chandler Stevenson's been able to do not playing with, let's be honest, the best player on the team and the best goal scorer. I have been impressed with Chandler Stevenson. Considering, look, go back to the finals against the Capitals when Chandler Stevenson was kind of a little thought of third or fourth line center for that team, right? And obviously a deep Capitals team that won the Stanley Cup. But Chandler Stevenson was not a guy where when he got to Vegas, I thought to myself, oh yeah, this is the natural fit on the first line between Stone and Pacioretty. What I like about that line is that it kind of forces the Golden Knights to play a style that they get away from sometimes with having guys in front of the net. Sometimes they try to be a little too perfect. Uh, You put Will Carrier on that line, and there might not be, outside of Mark Stone, a harder guy to move out from the front of the net on this roster than Will Carrier. So you go and try to create some traffic, and then you've got Krebs and his goal-scoring touch, and hopefully the speed of Stevenson can open some things up and maybe create some opportunities for Peyton Krebs as well. So I think that's actually a pretty creative line, and I, I think that has some potential for the Golden Knights. They, We don't know. We talked earlier about um, Jack Eichel and the trade, and I do think uh, a, a one person who might be involved with that would be Riley Smith because he's a UFA, if, if Buffalo would even want Riley Smith as a UFA. Quickly, though, does this give you some sense with Carlson out? We've talked all year about it. Does the misfit line get broken up? It's been broken up somewhat in games. He's mixed lines uh enough to say six weeks watt center if this is how it works out that we could have seen the last of the misfit line we'll know that we have seen the last of the misfit line though and i go back to the colorado game uh jared bednar had last change and he kept putting his best line out there against the misfit line and it didn't work i i that line has something for the golden knights that i don't know that outside of these injuries you should break up unless you find some sort of magic with something that you have in the combinations until you get william carlson back 
All right, 4 p.m. today, local time, Golden Knights against Maple Leafs. They start their Canadian tour, and we'll see what the lines look like. I'm sure there'll be early morning skates uh, reports on that. When we come back, it's all NFL with Charles McDonald. Holmes takes the snap, throws it over the middle, passes, caught by Kelsey, fumbled the football, and it's recovered by the Giants at the 30-yard line. Bradbury picked it up as the Giants forced it out of Kelsey's hands. It's a second turnover of the ball game for Kansas City. Please be joined now, Charles McDonald, at For the Win, at Four Verts on Twitter. Charles, uh, you heard it coming back. I've I've got to start with these guys. I, I'm I'm fascinated about the Chiefs because I haven't figured out what's really going on. Uh, is it just defensively? Is Mahomes doing things he didn't usually do? They're getting turnovers. They can't get they can't get Kelsey and Hill uh, open down the seam against the Giants. When you look at them at this 500 record, what stands out to you most about what's going on with the Kansas City Chiefs? Uh, it's just bad all over. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's kind of testing to the account that they can like not play well and still be four and four. So. You still have a chance to figure this out. Uh, you know, we still got like the back half of the season to go, but uh, time is running out. And I, I think that what's most alarming for them is that like these turnover problems are still persisting. Where Mahomes um, throwing uncharacteristic turnover uh, interceptions, Travis Kelsey is just fumbling the ball at bad uh, spots. You know, you even have a Mahomes fumble that was uh, recovered by you know a, a Chiefs uh, offensive player yesterday. So. It's just really sloppy football. The defense is going to be bad. I don't think there's anything they can do to fix that. But uh, they, they still have a chance on offense to get this thing going. But for some reason, they just keep shooting themselves in the foot with dumb penalties. When you look at the AFC West overall, how much is it going to matter? Uh, the Broncos are signaling that they're not interested in going for it uh, with the Von Miller trade. The Chargers have obviously hit some rough times. Raiders have performed better than expected in win-loss, but the metrics say that they might not be as great and they have a tough schedule down the stretch. So is is Kansas City in real trouble when it comes to the division, you think? Yeah, they're well, they're in trouble just because really of their own play. Uh, you know, not to me, not because of like what's going on around them. I, I think when you look at the division, they're probably in a better spot than they were uh, a couple of weeks ago when it looks like you know, the Broncos were going to be this overwhelming defensive team and with a surprising offense, and they look like, uh, you know, Justin Herbert was really taking that next step. But now, you know, they're right back in the big thick of things where uh, they have the same record as the Broncos at 4-4, four and four, the Chargers are only 4-3. So, you know, they can realistically get back into the division race uh, immediately if they can start playing up to their potential and racking up some wins, which I think we all know is, like, possible with this Chiefs team, which is why it's hard to write them off. I mean, you know, we're coming off of what the, the three years of the, basically the greatest offensive stretch that uh, we've seen in NFL history. So it's kind of hard to just like get that out of your head. You think about this Chiefs team, and you know, if, if the Raiders' defense maybe comes back down to earth a little bit, uh, maybe starts playing towards their talent level, uh, that can be a situation where they get back into the hunt. But you know, the Raiders they have a game against the Giants next week, so uh, if you're a Chiefs fan, you're probably hoping that they lose that one, but. <laughs> Given that the uh, the Giants are the Giants, uh, I don't really know how how much you, how much stock you can put in that. But the big game for the Chiefs is you know in two weeks they play the Raiders on Sunday Night Football, which is where you kind of start to see, or, or, or you know the Chiefs get a chance to at least you know cut back and set the division lead. Uh, that's what Raiders happen, and they still have another game against the Raiders later in the season. So you know it's kind of setting up where the Chiefs 
in a way, they still kind of control their own destiny because they still have so many division games left. Uh, you know, I don't even think they played the Broncos yet this season. So, you know, you're going to have uh, two games against the Broncos, two games against the Raiders, 12 games left against the Chargers. Yeah, at four and four, and basically when you're tied for, you know, second place in your division, you still have a chance to get that thing done. Two years ago, the Raiders are six and four, lose five of the last six. Last year, they're six and three, they finish eight and eight. You mentioned the defense. I don't know how much how sustainable Casey Hayward and Max Crosby are at being one and two and in ratings in terms of their positions across the league. Um, but the way Derek Carr's playing, the way uh, Greg Olson and him have kind of clicked here, they've averaged about thirty-four points in the two games since Gruden was gone offensively. What are some reasons in your mind well, it w- why, why it won't happen again this year? And they, they face a really tough schedule here in the second half, but are there, are there reasons in your mind that they won't fold down the stretch this time, or do you think it's inevitable? Uh, I don't think it's inevitable at all. I mean, the offense is still uh, playing really well for the Raiders. So to me, like that's the reason to, to stay optimistic. And I, I guess, you know, my only thing with the Raiders' defense is like, you know, I know that for the most part, like they've been performing – uh, as well as, like, you know, we talked about defensive standards in 2021, like, it was, as well as you could hope. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, you just look at the personnel and you're like, uh, at some point it's, this just doesn't seem like all that sustainable. But, you know, maybe this is just the year where Max Crosby takes that next step. Yannick Ndaku is, like, the perfect uh, number two pass rusher across from him, and then you have some guys in the secondary balling out. But I think what you should be happy about if you're a Raiders fan is the offense looks to be, like, Legitimate, even without uh, uh, John Gruden. Uh, I think last week against the Eagles, like you still put up 33 points. Like you have a, a pretty good game, and uh, right now this looks to be an offense second score on anyone. So, like I said, you got the Giants coming up, uh, Chiefs, and then the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals they just gave up 34 points to Mike White. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really see, you know, a team on the Raiders' schedule that is for sure going to be able to slow down their offense, which I think uh, should. Have you feeling pretty good about like where this team can be uh, by the end of the season? I think you know just look at looking at who they have left to play. You know th- those two games against the Chiefs are going to be tough, but to me, outside of that, like every other game on their schedule seems pretty winnable. So uh, you know even if you do have questions about like where this defense is going to be uh, in a few weeks, the offense is playing well enough that they should be able to like contend with most teams that they're going to play against from here on. Uh, throughout the rest of the season, and then once you get to the playoffs, like anything can happen. Charles, the biggest news uh, yesterday in terms of on-field stuff in the NFL uh, was Derrick Henry's injury and him being done for the season, um, potentially done for the season, I should say. Uh, I know that there is a large segment of analytically-minded folks with football who believe that for the most part running backs don't matter. I ascribe largely to that. Uh, is it different with Derrick Henry, or do you think that there's a, a level here for the Texans' offense or the Titans' offense that they still can reach even without him? Uh, you know, I, I when it comes to players like Derrick Henry, I tend to believe that that guy you know matters quite a bit for uh, Titans' offense. You know, he didn't get much going yesterday, and I'm sure that probably had to do some of the injury. You know, only 2.4 yards per carry, or not yesterday on Sunday, I should say. Uh, but you know when you when you, you just look at how they run offense and how much of the play action stuff is based off of, like runs that look exactly like you know other Derrick Henry runs uh, that they've had to put together uh, in the past basically just to you know just 
to keep their offense going, it's kind of hard for me to look at that and say, oh, you know, you can put Adrian Peterson in there and you'll get like similar results. I'm not, not quite there yet, even though I do tend to believe that, you know, most running backs are interchangeable, but, you know, not that guy. Uh, there, to me, there's, there's a reason why they paid him. He's been like super durable up until this point. Uh, and I think that when you, when you look at his impact on their offense, it's kind of hard to even like put a number on, you know, what he means to them. Just when you look at how the offense is really just built around his presence and, you know, the threat that he brings, where he's not just this guy who can uh, hammer between the tackles and, and pick up like tough yards, but he can also, you know, break away for, you know, 70, 80, 90 yard runs like we've seen in the past. I mean, he's, he's really just a, a really special player. And I think that, you know, when you're talking about players of that caliber, uh, you can kind of like shrug off some of like the, the running backs doesn't, don't matter stuff because he's just like in like his own little tier, I guess, like him and Nick Chubb. Like when you, when they, when those guys go down for the most part, uh, you usually do see like an impact on the offense. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Titans kind of manage his offense without having like a surefire thing on the ground because. You know, Adrian Peterson, he's a legend. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer, but he's not, you know, Adrian Peterson of 2007 or 2008 at this point. It's, it's not going to be uh, – I don't think it's going to be like a super reliable part of their offense, and now we're going to have to see how they kind of flex their scheme and flex their thinking about how they can get yards down the field. Jameis Winston out, ACL, MCL, he's done. Uh, Sean Payton says the $6 million question is, who does he start, Taysom Miller, Trevor Simeon? He also mentioned Ian Book. Uh, we're satisfied with the quarterback room. Yeah. Should he? Uh, first of all, we're all surprised Taysom Hill's 31 years old. But uh, should he be satisfied with his quarterback room? And if you're Sean Payton today, who are you starting? Oh, I. I mean, I guess if you you start Taysom Hill just because you have the he has the most experience. But no, I don't think you can be satisfied with this quarterback room. I mean, I don't. We saw so we seen Taysom Hill start like what four or five games that he did last year, and I, you know. It was solid, uh, and, you know, you got to beat the Falcons twice in that stretch, but I, I don't really see how that's, like, a viable long-term solution for you for multiple games. You know, maybe I think that, that you know, Taysom Hill's going to get the start just because Sean Payne seems to like him. They've invested in him somewhat with that funny-money contract uh, a couple years ago. Uh, but I, I kind of think that Trevor Simeon, just when you look at, like, a pure pass standpoint, might be a better player than Taysom Hill, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of split that over the next few weeks. Like, is it going to be, you know, mostly Taysom with, you know, a little bit of Trevor, Trevor, uh, Trevor Simeon, like, sprinkle in, or is it going to be Trevor with Taysom trick plays sprinkle in? I mean, I, I kind of wonder if Sean Payton, like, now that he's played eight weeks with Jameis Winston, has gotten kind of like a taste of what a drop-back passing game can look like again uh, now that, you know, he, not, he didn't have to deal with the Taysom stuff like he did last season. Uh, when Drew Brees got hurt. So, you know, I, I, I am inclined to believe that he'll start with Taysom Hill, but, you know, if that passing game kind of, you know, stays stagnant, it's going to be tough, especially without Michael Thomas out there for Taysom. Uh, I kind of wonder if, if he doesn't get, you know, a little bit agitating, go back to Trevor Singh and who's a more steady hand in the passing game. Are you okay finally with the Rams? Well, I'm okay with the Rams going for it because somehow they made Denver pick up $9 million of Von Miller's salary, which that alone uh, tells you all you need to know about the Broncos. Are you okay with them continuing to go for it with the draft picks that they give up? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're in a playoff. You're you're a Super Bowl contender. What do you care about next year? Like, you, yeah. you have maybe the best roster in the NFL. 
Uh, you added Von Miller, and honestly, like this strategy has worked for them. Uh, you know, we all we talk about like the unsustainability of like what they're doing, but it hasn't really come to bite them in the butt just yet. Where you know you don't really regret trading two first round picks for Jalen Ramsey because last year he's like the cog in what makes uh, that scheme so good, and really what helps Brandon Staley get a uh, head coaching job, you know, Jalen Ramsey being able to play outside corner in the slot and being shut down defenders at those spots is, is huge. You don't really regret, or you don't regret at all so far, trading two first-round picks from Matthew Stafford because he's playing like an MVP, and not only that, but, you know, he's looking like someone who can play for you know, five, six, seven more years. So, you know, you, you've got your franchise quarterback for two first-round picks, and now you got uh, Von Miller for a couple day two picks, so you know it's it's a risky strategy, but it's hard to say that it hasn't worked out so far. Uh, you know, just trading your picks for guys that are known commodities, not really even just known commodities, because this isn't like the Seahawks trading two first round picks for Jamal Adams. Like they're getting guys at positions of high value: quarterback, cornerback, edge rusher. Uh, so I think that when you when you when you think about the Rams and, you know, how they've used their resources. You also have to think about, like, the positions of guys that they're going after. They're not just, you know, a safety or a running back or a linebacker. Like, these are guys that have huge, you know, impacts over who wins games. Uh, so, you know, if you've got your quarterback and a Hall of Fame cornerback and a Hall of Fame edge rusher for your draft picks, I think that you're okay kind of making those trades, uh, especially with the coaching staff of David Sumble on the field. Well, he is Charles McDonald, at 4Verts on Twitter, at 4TheWin. Give his read of stuff. Great uh, NFL expert for us here in the press box. We appreciate it, Charles. Thanks for having me. Take care. Charles McDonald, at 4Verts on Twitter. Yeah, I think you meant give his stuff a read. Did I say give his read of stuff? Yes. Give his stuff a read. <laughs> Terrific stuff. NFL expert for us on the press box. When we come back. Is Las Vegas still a leverage play for your Oakland A's? Attorney. Two receivers to each side. Jones calls the signals. He takes the snap. He's back. He looks right. He throws right. Caught for the touchdown, Evan Ingram. And the Giants have the lead with 14.53 to go in the game. Coming up at 9.15, we've got Vegas Golden Knights tickets against the Minnesota Wild. You want to hear that? We'll tell you what caller to call in. Jared will get him, and uh, he'll win Vegas Golden Knights tickets. Coming up at 9.15. Uh, it's Ed, Adam, and Jared. So Adam, uh, Mick Akers of the Review Journal yesterday, he tweeted out uh, a lot of things about the Oakland A's. Apparently they emailed Aviators fans asking them to fill out a survey gauging local interest in the possible relocation to Las Vegas and building a new ballpark. According to the survey, the A's are targeting an area on or near the Strip for a possible ballpark if it's relocated. Uh, tweets also showed a hypothetical season ticket offering listed in the survey if the A's were to relocate, and they gauged interest on possible PSLs if the team were to relocate to a new ballpark. We've said all, well, Tyler and I have said all along, and again, I have to believe it until I see it, that Vegas is a leverage play, especially since Alameda County a few weeks ago voted, I believe, 4-1 to one to uh, possibly add money to the pot up there to keep the A's. Give me your take on this since it first started. Did you think they were in that leverage play? Do you think yesterday reaching out to Aviators fans, giving them season ticket uh, prices and, and where they could sit in PSLs and here's our here's where our stadium might be, is this the ultimate leverage play or more and more do you think maybe there's something to it despite what Alameda County voted for a couple weeks ago? Sound and fury signifying nothing in the end when mm-hmm. it comes to the Oakland A's. And yes, look, Vegas, You've been getting played. You're still getting played. You're going to keep getting played. 
by the Oakland A's. This is not the Raiders situation. This is a completely different game. In the Raiders situation, you had one of the most powerful political interests in all of Las Vegas lined up to help you get the legislature to create this otherworldly stadium. And you also attached nearly a billion dollars in funding for the convention center to get legislators to vote for $750 million for the stadium. And it was still a really close vote. Yes. The A's are not coming here unless they get major public money. And there is not the political will to do it for a baseball team that frankly is going to end up playing in a stadium that gets used six months a year. So there's no reason to do this. There's no reason from a political standpoint to do this for the money. And if the A's aren't getting money, they're not coming here. So send out all the surveys you want. Talk about all the hypothetical season tickets you want. It's crap. It's all crap. It's been crap from the start. And if you want to know why I think that, um, where's Bob Melvin, the manager now? Yeah, he's in San Diego. Bob Melvin left the A's to go to San Diego. Do you think if the A's were coming to a brand new stadium in Vegas with all new facilities and new revenue streams and this great new thing, do you think Bob Melvin's taking off from the franchise that he is stuck with through a literal river of crap? No. <laughs> Did either of you actually, like, I'm not saying take the survey, but at least look at the survey. I did quickly. I did quickly. Okay. I didn't. I did not take it. I did. I did look at it quickly. I. I was more interested. But you can tell us about the survey in their ex- explanation of what PSLs are and where that money goes oh, to. You, which was, you get your money back after 50 years. Yeah. Interest um, free. So. What about the survey? But the the part about the survey that I actually enjoyed is they were like, "What would be attractive to or." What about the Oakland A's make you think uh, that, that, like, it'd be a good idea to have them in Vegas? And I basically, like, my, like the first thought my head was, well, I mean, it'd be cool, but their owner's notoriously cheap. Yeah. Like, I don't understand, like, how they think this is going to be a good move. <laughs> like, they're going to get responses to this that are not going to be very nice. I also want to know, because we've talked about this, and you're exactly right, uh, legislatures also said... There is no desire for public money in any of this. A's targeting an area on or near the Las Vegas Strip. That surprises me. Why? I, uh, here we go again. I mean, we did this. We did this in 2004. We did this <laughs> yes. with the with the uh, with the Washington Nationals Montreal Expos situation. Are we going to turn the land behind Bally's into a stadium? Stop. Just stop. Where's the money what? coming from? Seriously, who who is paying for this land? The Raiders paid $77 million for their land. Like, who's paying this money? Just stop. The A's are not doing this. The, the money's not there. If you want to keep talking about it, it's a story, I guess. But, like, it's it's not happening. Who was it that flew here directly from San Antonio and, like, got off the plane wearing a cowboy hat? I can't remember which team was leveraging us that time, but Mark Davis was the one who was flirting yeah. with San Antonio. Mark Davis went to San Antonio. Maybe he had the cowboy hat on because he well, was flirting with San Antonio most people, for a while. Should I make the obligatory I, joke about? I, I, I know it's, it's covering coming. the haircut. I know yeah, what it's okay. coming. You would like to see him in the cowboy hat. I know what it's. I know it's coming. I'm with you. I think it's a leverage play. I've always thought it's a leverage play. And I'll tell you one thing. They're going to the wall with this leverage play because now they're talking PSLs. They're giving out surveys, hypothetical hypothetical season ticket offerings. You got to light the A's coming back.